Genesis 43 is where we are. So make your way to Genesis chapter 43. I, on the other hand, I'm turning someplace else. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you again, Lord, for ourselves. For us as, as the body of Christ. We have gathered into this place intentionally in pursuit of you. We want to know you, Lord, but not just with our minds, with our hearts. We want to experience you. We want to hear the voice of our God through your word and through your spirit. So, Lord, may you enable each one of us as your kids to hear you. We've come into this building with all different kinds of life experience. We've come into here today, Lord, with, with different hearts and some of us are just burdened. Some of us are filled with joy and praise. Some of us are battling and fighting sin. Some of us have a lot of questions. Some of us are just sitting and doing nothing. Lord, you know. You know each of us intimately. So we present our minds and our hearts and our lives before you. Here we are, Lord. Have your way in us. And through us, may our lives be all about your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I was saying I was turning to a different place in the word because we finished in Romans 8 last week. Very powerful section where we are encouraged that if God is for us, who can be against us? And what caused us to go there is out of, ja out of Jacob's mouth is pouring these words. All of these things are against me. As he's looking at his life context, his circumstances, he's saying all of these things are against me. So we have in the New Testament this encouragement and exhortation that if all of these things are against you, are they really, you know, if, if God is for you, is there really anything that can stand in your way, any mountain? And then it goes through this, this whole list that Paul's saying that he is persuaded that it's neither death nor life, angels nor principalities nor powers, things present or things to come, height, death, no other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But here's the exhortation and here's the reality, is that we live in a world where everything except God and those who love God is against you. The exhortation is, if God is for you, then who can truly be against you? Can, who can snatch you out of God's hands? Who can cause God not to love you? And the answer is nobody. But the reality is, is that this just brought up, if not, neither angels nor principalities nor, nor powers... This is talking about that spiritual realm that we really have very limited information on other than here's these other created beings that in their rebellion against God, they're not only standing in opposition to God and who he is and what God wants to do, but they are in continual opposition against you in your life and God in your life and will do anything that they can that's in their power underneath the sovereignty of God to destroy your relationship with God, to destroy your thoughts about him, to destroy your service towards him. Everything, again, in this life, think about this, everything in this life other than Jesus Christ 
and those who love Jesus Christ are standing in opposition. Because even if somebody's a good person and a nice person and they're encouraging to you and their Lord is not Jesus, they're standing in opposition to Jesus' will for you ultimately. And if somebody or something is attempting to stand in opposition to you, often we find ourselves allowing ourselves to be subject to that, those who are against us. I bring this up because as we left jo Jacob at the end of chapter 42, he's saying that all of these things are against him and bringing up this spiritual warfare concept and idea. Because from the moment that God pronounced that there was coming a savior, that Eve's seed was going to crush the head of the enemy, we watch the activity of the serpent throughout the Old Testament, but he's in hiding all the time. The reality is that in Jacob's life, there was a spiritual battle, battle there was a spiritual conflict where Satan knew the proclamation of God that as God is calling Abraham and promising to Abraham through your seed, through your child, is going to come the deliverance of the world, essentially. All the nations are going to be blessed through your seed. So if you were Satan, if you were in opposition against God, and you hear God pronounce that the blessing is going to come back to the world through this man, where's your attention going to turn? To that man. So we watch Satan attempt to destroy Abraham. We watch Satan attempt to destroy Ishmael. Is Ishmael the seed? We watch him attempt to destroy Isaac. Is Isaac the seed? What about Jacob and Esau? We watch all the different activity in their life. So it's not just that they are men and women subject to the desires of their own hearts. They're also men and women that have a spiritual opposition against them. And they're also men and women that live in a culture that is in total opposition to the true and living God. So all of these things are forces against us. And for Jacob's life, those forces that are against him have had victory in his life for 20 years. We've, as we traveled through Jacob's life, we watched him have major transformation, major victory in his relationship and his submission and his yielding and recognition to who the Almighty God is who he is in relationship to the Almighty God. We watch him, and as he pursues reconciliation with his brother, beautiful, beautiful example of what it means to repent in Jacob. But once he got into the land, as he's in the land that God promised to him, as he's in the land that God brought him back to, he's had nothing but trouble and hardship. And since he has been in this position that his son uh, Joseph is dead, we get no sense that he is remaining and yielding to the Lord. We get in a sense that he's trying to protect his own circumstances. Because what he's doing here at the end of chapter 42, you have Reuben say something stupid and, you know, kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you, which is just weird, right? But he's concerned about Simeon, like, give us Benjamin so that we can go back and that we can free Simeon and then we can also continue to eat. 
And we talked about last week that Jacob's heart is closed to that because his heart is totally wrapped up in, in Benjamin. In fact, in chapter 44, verse 30, Judah says that Jacob's life is bound up in the lad's life. That Jacob's life is bound up in Benjamin's life. And this is the question that I want to ask you as we get to, into the text this morning. What's your Benjamin? What is your life bound up in, ultimately in opposition to the will of God? Because what Jacob is doing in, in, uh, in exalting who he is trying to protect, Benjamin, he is keeping Benjamin behind him. He is keeping Benjamin safe. Nothing is going to happen to him. His brother's dead. His mom's dead. I don't care that Simeon is in jail. I am not letting go of my Benjamin. And this is what we're going to travel with Jacob this morning. God's going to put him in a position where he is forced to let go of his Benjamin. Now, do you like to freely offer yourself to God? Or do you like God to force you to offer yourself to him? Think of, think of the difference of heart. Think of the difference of the circumstance that you may be dealing with right now. The person the trial, the sin, whatever it may be, you know that God is directing you in one way and you're telling God, no, you're in opposition to God. The one that is for you, you are against, right? Bad position to be in. But what does that feel like to try and just hold on to your own, your own thoughts, your own ways, your own desire? We know the end of the story. This is what's going to happen. Jacob is going to release his grip on his Benjamin. And Jacob is not only going to get his Benjamin back, he's going to get his Simeon back. He's going to get his money back. He's going to get his Joseph back. He's in a position at the end of chapter 42 where everything is against me. And once God finally boxes him in that he has nowhere else to turn, he has to do this. God's ultimately, he's forcing him to be in a position of trusting in him, of letting go of everything else. We watch Jacob this morning die to himself. This is a powerful picture of what it means to follow Christ. What it means to die to yourself every single day as you take up your cross. Rather than holding on to your Benjamins, holding on to your control, holding on to your money, holding on to your time, holding on to all of your stuff, and really truly just yielding to the Lord freely. Not because God's got you in a headlock, but because God, I trust you. Because nothing that I let go of is anything in comparison to what you already have provided for me and to what you have promised to provide for me. Have any of you in this room ever outgiven God? Have any of you outserved God? Anybody sat down and taught God a lesson, taught him a thing or two about life? We smirk and they're silly questions. But what do we do in our hearts? We hedge in our Benjamins. We hold on. We make the decisions. We're in control. 
this, this morning, this, I titled this morning's message, it's come back. Come back to that position. For Jacob, it's go back to Bethel, Jacob. Go back to when God changed your name. Go back to when he changed your character. Go back to that memorial that you have in your life where you were assured and confident in regards to the nature and the character and the power and the promises of God. Come back. So here in 43, as we continue this account, it says, now the famine was severe in the land and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him saying, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send your brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, why did you deal so wrongfully with me? as to tell the man whether you still had another brother. But they said that the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Then Judas said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be a surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered surely by now, we would have returned this second time. And their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned into the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise. Go back to the man and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your brother, your other brother, and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So here, context. Jacob has waited until the last provision, the last supply of food has dwindled to you know, we're hitting the emergency preserves. And he looks at his sons and says, go back. Go back and go get, go get us a little food. And Jacob knows what's required. Jacob knows exactly what's gone on. But he's waited all of this time for the supplies to go down and down and down. Waiting until that 11th hour. Waiting until he has no other choice other than to do what he knows ought to have been done at the beginning to go and rescue Simeon from prison. But he's waiting because, again, like I said, he's holding on to and trying to protect his Benjamin. So in this, Judah now rises up as 
the spokesman for the brothers. And this is where we talked about earlier in chapters 37 and 39, we watched uh, Joseph just shine brilliantly in his relationship with the Lord and in his you know, resisting temptation. Uh, in the midst of his pits, in the midst of his trouble, he is just, he's shining the Lord brilliantly. And then right there, sandwiched in the midst of that, we had this story about Judah and Tamar. And Judah's shining like a lump of coal, right? He's just, he, he is, he's like, this is the lion of the tribe of Judah? I mean, this is, this is the guy who king david comes from there's got to be some better stock to pick a king out of is what we're left with in 38 but now again as we we only get these little snippets of people's lives we see whatever's gone on in judah's life something has radically changed to where he was the brother who recommended let's not kill joseph but let's sell him for money right we're watching the darkness of his heart. We watch him leave the family, probably because of guilt. doesn't want to stare into the face of his father because he knows what he's done to his brother. But here we talked about because of the famine, the family is all pulled together again. But Judah rises up as the spokesman for the brothers. And in this, we watch him. What is he doing on behalf, not just of Simeon, not just on behalf of his father, his brothers, their little ones, but specifically for Benjamin. This is what we talked about before in Joseph and in Judah. Later on in the Bible, when you have the divided kingdom, you have Judah and Benjamin or the southern tribes. The other 10 tribes are the northern tribes. The northern tribes come underneath the leadership of an Ephraimite, a child of Joseph. The southern tribes under, under the children of Judah under King David and all that transition that goes on. But why are Judah and Benjamin together? Why are these two linked? They're not, you'd think that the tribes of Joseph and the tribes of Benjamin would be the tribes that are linked together. But I submit to you it's because of what Judah does on behalf of Benjamin here is a picture and a reflection of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this was a bond between these brothers because Benjamin's listening to these words. And the words that come out of Judah's mouth to his dad is, if I don't bring him back, let the blame rest on me. But he says, I myself will be a surety for him. And this word surety, this is, this, this is all legal language of the day. This means that I am taking the legal responsibility for the debt of another. I am, I am taking legal responsibility of my brother, Benjamin. And this is where, as, we've, as we're sitting in this text in Genesis, especially in Joseph's life, how much he images to us Jesus, um, the different brothers, and especially in this chapter, they image to us Christ in different ways. And this is how, because all of a sudden Joseph's in the position of king. He's in the position of Lord. He's in the position of the father, so to say. And we're told that the man, and we'll say God has told us, you may not see my face unless your brother is with you. Unless you come to God, your father, with your brother, Jesus, you are not welcome into God's presence. 
And that's part of the imagery that we see here. This is part of the declaration that we see here. Because what did Jesus do? Our almighty God took on this flesh. He became our sibling, our brother. And in the mystery of all of this, through his death, through his resurrection, he was bodily resurrected. In his ascension, he bodily ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. As the first fruits, as the firstborn of the dead, that title that's appointed to Jesus, he has taken on this flesh for all eternity. He is our brother for all eternity. What does that mean? I don't know. But God is telling us, you were not welcome into my presence. You were not welcome into, we were just singing a moment ago, what is, what is heaven singing right now? Those creatures that can see God right now, what are they proclaiming? His holiness, his majesty, his power, his beauty, his grace. They're proclaiming all of these things about him. And our only way to enter into that praise, to join in that heavenly chorus, we're told, is when we come with our brother with us. So we see this imagery, and then we see this other imagery as Judah is now standing in that gap in being a type of Christ for the brother Benjamin. I will be a surety for him. I will be legally responsible for him. Whatever is his debt, require it for me. I will take the blame forever. And in the, in the next chapter that we're not going to get into this morning, we watch him stand in this gap. Is Benjamin's mediator. I will pay his price. He stole from you. He deserves to be your slave. Free him and I will be your slave. Incredible picture of intercession. And we talked already, but here in verse 11, this is where we watch Jacob's heart transition. And we don't see, he's not transitioning in joy. He's transitioning in just in resignation. But ultimately, his life that is bound up in his son Benjamin, he has to die to himself. He has to fully release what his life is bound up in. And he's looking to God Almighty, El Shaddai, to be merciful. May God Almighty give you mercy in the sight of the man who is going to pronounce judgment. Because I'm afraid of what's going to happen when I let go. And this is, this is, is this not what keeps us from letting go of our Benjamins, is fear? What happens when you start serving God? You get really uncomfortable. It's really hard. This is time consuming. This is uncomfortable. I have to go places I don't want to go. I have to talk to people that I'm not comfortable in talking with. I have to be unappreciated. I have to be the least. I have to be a servant. We have all these incredible descriptions of what Jesus taught us of what it means to be his follower. And then we have all these incredible examples of how Jesus exemplified that behavior. Have you ever washed anybody's dusty, dung-filled feet as they're walking around dirty streets anywhere? And this, our almighty God, who emptied himself and became just like us, girded himself and washed the feet of his disciples, including the disciple 
that he knew that was going to betray him, he washed them all. That's, that is a true position of humility and service. But what, this, these are the things that we fear. Because what, as Americans, what do we like to do? We like to be in control. I have my calendar. I have my schedule. God, I can fit you in between 8 and 8.05 today. Tomorrow, yeah, I'm booked and I might talk to you on Friday. Right? Because our calendars are so full with what? Some really good things. Some really stupid things. Some really sinful things. Some, we're spending all of this time spinning our wheels, holding on to our Benjamins. Until, how many of you, and I want to see the raise of hands, how many of you has God ever put into a box where I can't go that way, I can't go that way, I can't go that way. This is my only way out. Show of hands. How many of you griped against God in that moment? After you were out of the box, how many of you turned around and praised God? What are you going to do next time you're in a box? Well, I'm not going to complain as long this time. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. There's lots of things in life that are uncomfortable. I've been walking with Jesus for 20 years. And this is the thing that I'm, like, I'm sitting in in this chapter. I've watched J Jacob not do well with his last 20 years. Watched his peaks and his valleys. And I, can, I understand his hurt. I understand his pain. <laughs> I can sympathize with it. I've never walked in those shoes. So I can understand it in mind, not in heart and life and experience. I hope that I would act one way. But in this, God is testing him. He's bringing out the things that need to be brought out of Jacob to make him the man of God that he needs to be. Here we are watching Jacob in resignation, finally, again, we shall say, not finally, once again, he is dying to himself. What, I, what is helpful in this, in his words here, in the exhortation of what he has to take, this take of the best fruits of the land, the idea of the best fruits here is that take Take what causes joy. Take what causes praise. That's what the word best here means. And the, the word fruit is the strength. Take, take what God has given to you. Take the best of what God has given to you. Take the provisions that he has given to you. And now go back to him. Take the gift. Take the gift of praise. Even if, even if you're in the box right now and you're in rebellion and you don't want to let go of your Benjamin. Resign yourself. Yield yourself. Take that gift of praise. Take the strength that he's given to you. God, you have given me everything. And I am coming to you and I am looking for your mercy. We need to keep going and we're not going to finish this chapter. It says, so the men took that present and Benjamin 
And they took double money in their hand and they arose and went down to Egypt. They stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin, note that, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready for these men. Uh, Make ready for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight, so that we have brought it back in our hand and we brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We don't know who put our money in our sacks. But he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid, for your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their donkeys feed. Then they made, uh, they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that he would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant our father is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed down, they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself and they by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Then he took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs, so they drank and were merry with him. Now I'm going to let you sit on your own. Just the story, it flows really easy. It's pretty easy to follow, especially if you have you know, just the whole context of Joseph's life and all these interactions that are going on. So I want in our time remaining just to sit in this imagery because what's going on here as as the 11 brothers are now there and Joseph sees Benjamin, 
He gives, as Joseph sitting, this imagery and type of Christ. He says to the steward of his house, which usually in, in Genesis, the steward is going to represent the Holy Spirit. Take these men to my home. What is Jesus telling us that he is doing for us in heaven right now? Making ready. Making ready for what? For a meal. He's making a space ready for us. And when we're finally brought into his home, into his presence, we're going to dine with him. Beautiful imagery. But the brothers here, it says that they're afraid and their fear has this focal point of the money. So we talked about last time, there's uh, the money that's found back in their sacks. They know that they're being set up. They just don't know what they're being set up for. They left Egypt with all this grain and they didn't pay for the grain. So the man that was speaking to him roughly and has held on to one of their brothers in prison what is he attempting to do to us? And they ask this question, what is it that God has done to us? You know, he's found out our sin. They know, again, just the, their entire time that they've been waiting to go back as they've been watching the food go down, much of their conversation and their timidity is revolving around this cash. So much so that right it says as they come to the door, the entrance of Joseph's house, what do they start doing? They start talking. Now, the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of you right now and leads you in the Spirit, and he's going to go take you into, into heaven. Um, are there any quick conversations you may want to have with the Holy Spirit before you meet Jesus? Is there anything that you feel like you need to get right? And, well, I really meant to do this last week, but I didn't. Forget, you know, just last moments of confession. Do you know what I'm talking about? These, these guys are nervous because of um, this money that's being returned to them and how they feel that they're being set up and then they know that they're being set up for their guilt. So this is what they start chattering about. But here's, here's where, um, I'm gonna come back to that in a minute. Hold that thought, okay? In Joseph's heart, when he is looking at his brother, Benjamin, the testing that's going on, why he held on to Simeon in the first place is because he has concern for his younger brother, Benjamin, back home. If my brothers were willing to kill me, if my brothers were willing to sell me into slavery, what's happened to Benjamin? And Joseph's had no news all of this time. So he's held on to collateral. He held on to Simeon. And now he's been sitting all these months is he dead? Is Benjamin dead? Is that why they're not here? Because they killed him too? Joseph doesn't know the answer to these things. And he finally sees his brother. He sees him, take him to my house. He wraps up his job, work, whatever that he's got to wrap up. Go make, go make lunch ready. I'm going to be there at noon. When he finally gets there and he's finally having conversation, he's asking about his dad. His dad, not, not knowing who he is, but he's asking about the old man. Is, he, is your father still alive? what his heart is yearning for. And then this is the phrase that it uses as he's looking at Jacob, or sorry, when Joseph is looking at Benjamin, says that his heart yearned for his brother. And it's literally the mercy, compassion was heated up from within him. The only other time that this is used in the Bible is when, remember when the two women are coming before Solomon, one of their baby died and they're fighting over who the real baby is and Solomon says, all right, cut the baby in half and you can each have half. Remember that moment? The true mom, it says that her heart yearned for her child. 
It's that kind of yearning that Joseph has for his brother Benjamin. And I'd submit to you, this is the kind of yearning that Christ has for us. When we watch him entering into Jerusalem and and coming to his people, coming to his brethren, what does it say that he did? He wept over them. Why did he weep over them? Because they refused him. They refused to listen. They were rejecting him. They were rejecting God. They were doing their own thing. He desired to gather them, but they weren't willing. And his heart was yearning for them. It's the same emotion that comes up. Back up, because this is where we're going to end this morning. Verse 24, when they they brought him into Joseph's house, the servant gives him water. I have your money. I already have full payments. Don't worry about your money. You can't buy your salvation. We already, we already talked about that last week. There's no imagery here or picture that giving God money or giving God any kind of payment is going to give him what he needs. Joseph doesn't need it. The servant doesn't need it. I have your payment in full because it's been paid by Jesus himself. The servant, as far as he concerned, my Lord forgave your debt. I have full payment. Washes their feet. Again, that imagery and what Christ does at that Passover night, the evening before he is crucified. But as we talk about the, the heart of Jacob, this, this heart of letting go of our Benjamins, once we have let go of those things and we are approaching the Lord and we are pursuing the Lord and we are, we are looking to him and for him and in all things of life, we are told by Jesus in the New Testament that we are to make ready, that we are to be ready for what? We're to be ready for life today. You're to be ready for life tomorrow. You're to be ready for his return and his coming back. So the question is we flow through this process of the account and everything that's occurring here in imagery. Again, that, that initial step of letting go and just finally trusting God. And it might not be finally, it may be trusting God again. It may be trusting God afresh. Because trusting him 20 years ago doesn't mean you still trust him today. So it's that letting go of what you're holding on to, yielding to him. And then as you do so, you're submitting to him to make you to be the person that he needs you to be today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. And in that... In Matthew 24 and 25, as the disciples, and no, we're not going to sit in this verse by verse, otherwise we'll be here till 8 tonight, or maybe 8 tomorrow night. As we sit and look at Matthew 24 and 25, the disciples are asking, like, what are we, what are we looking for for your return? What are we looking for? How do we be ready? And the first thing Jesus tells us as we follow him, as we look for him, as we pursue him, Take heed to yourself. Don't be what? Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't let the world tell you something about God that's not true. Don't let the world be your drumbeat. Don't let your little wicked dark heart be your Lord. Don't be deceived. 
How easy is it for you to be deceived? I get, there's, some, there's some really convincing arguments out there. And if I don't know who my Lord is, if I don't know him in his word, in who he's revealed himself to be, demonstrated himself to be, continues to demonstrate himself to be, who he's going to be for, for all eternity, if I don't know him, I am susceptible to deception. And this is, make ready. If Jesus were coming at noon today, which is in four minutes, Jesus is going to be here in four minutes. Make ready. How would you change your life? Okay, I'll take it easy on you. Jesus is going to be here tomorrow at noon. What are you going to change today? How are you going to live the rest of today? If you truly, in your heart of hearts, believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who died on the cross, the one who was buried dead in a tomb, the one who death did not have power over, but he took his life back, the one who bodily ascended into heaven, the one who we are promised he will return. If he were to come back tomorrow at noon, what would change? Nothing? A little bit? Everything? So we talk about hiding Benjamins and holding on to Benjamins. There's, there's an aspect of that of God don't take from me. And then there's an aspect of God of God don't look at that. That's not God's business. What do you need to let go of? What do you need to pursue? Again, this, is, this isn't a heavy, this isn't a head trip. Because again, salvation is provided in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. If Jesus were to return tomorrow, I'd probably spend some extra time praising today and remembering this life that he's given to me if I had that confidence of tomorrow at noon. But in all honesty, I'd go on with my day. I'm going to go on in the next few minutes and I'm going to worship our God together with you. When we're done with that, I would still write in these Bibles words of encouragement to the next generation that they could go home and read it tonight even though their Lord's coming back tomorrow. I'd still hang out with you. I'd still pray with you. I'd still talk with you. I'd still laugh with you. I'd still eat with you. It would be longer. I wouldn't do the laundry. I wouldn't be mowing the yard. I wouldn't change the oil in the car. You know, the, all those practical things that we need to keep doing. But my life wouldn't change. I'd enjoy the rest of the afternoon with my family. I might still even take a nap so I can be all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for the rapture that's coming tomorrow. Like I said, so this isn't to be a head trip and, and guilt and condemnation. But we all need to hear the warning of your faith in God from 20 years ago. It's not the faith of today. And you still need to yield today. I still need to yield today. I've got to die to myself today. I had to have victory over the sheets this morning. My alarm went off at 5 a.m. I didn't want to get up. But 
30 minutes later after my coffee's kicking in, I'm glad I'm up. I'm having a blast with the Lord. Until your Lord comes back. What's your end? We prayed over the teens this morning, the young adults, the graduates, and the prayers that their eyes and that their attention would be on the end. Where do you want to be at your end? In this, I'll let you sit in Matthew 24 and 25 and the rest of the exhortations that are in there. But a major one is that when the Lord comes back, that we would hear his voice say, well done, good and faithful servant. You trusted in me. You took care of the naked. You took care of the poor. You took care of the hungry. And you did that care, you did that service, whether it's physical or spiritual, you did that for my namesake. Because of who I am in truth, because of who I've been for you. Come back to the Lord. For some of you, it needs to be a coming for the first time. He's beautiful. He's worth letting go of everything for. I let go of sin and I got life. I got a great bargain. We all did. Amen? All right, worship team, come on up here. Let's pray. Father, we are, we're praying for a, a fresh relationship with you, a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We pray day after day and week after week, Lord, that we would know and understand your love, that we would be filled with the fullness of God, that we would be filled with faith, that we would be filled with your strength. Lord, we recognize that we are not holy by ourselves, but it is only you who makes us holy. Me, Lord, you know my mind and my heart, just as we were singing the, the song earlier of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, just, just meditating on this is what heaven, those in heaven are choosing to proclaim about you to you and to one another revolves around the beauty of your holiness. Lord, that we've let go of, of our Benjamins, Lord. Those things that keep us from doing what you've commanded us to do. Whether it be people, whether it be an attitude, whether it be a sin. Lord, right now, With open hearts before you, Lord, we let go. Father, in joy, I trust my daughter to you who is moving out from my house because I know that you're her God and I know that you will lead her and that you'll protect her and that you'll love her and that you'll change her and transform her, that you'll equip her and build her up. I know, Lord, that you'll make her to be exactly who you want her to be as she yields to you and submits to you. I know that, Lord, with confidence. So I not only have that confidence for my daughter, Lord, I have that confidence for every single soul in this room that if you were their God, and if they will yield to you, if they will come back to you this morning, if they will let go of their Benjamins, 
Lord, not only will you give their Benjamins the, the holy things back to them, Lord, you will provide for them, you will abundantly bless them, that as they come out from being boxed in and hedged in, Lord, as they walk in your freedom and in your power and in your beauty and in your majesty and all that you are, they'll come to you, Lord, with their best fruits, their best praise, the best of their finances, the best of their service. Because you've given them their best in the first place. You're beautiful. I love it. We stand in you, we stand by you, and we stand for you. And we will proclaim our praises and we proclaim our ma your majesty, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.